All righty, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. So last time we did scripture reading, we kind of introduced the book of Mark and read uh, down to verse number 40, or really verse 35, so we'll start there today. And we're going to go through uh, chapter 4. So Mark 1. 35 through chapter 4. Mark chapter 1, let's start, verse 35. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon, those who were with him, searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, the reason why he says, go, don't tell anyone, verse, uh, verse number 43, see that you say nothing to anyone but go and show the priest. Doesn't that, he's, supposed, he's going to have to say something to the priest. He didn't want the man to tell the priest what had happened that caused him leprosy to leave. But he needed to show the priest that he was cleansed of his leprosy. And the reason is because, uh, kind of what we talked about last week, if, if you are a leper in that time period, you are left, without, you're left outside of the gate. You can't go in. If you go in, you have to hold your hand in front of your face and scream, unclean, 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 over and over and over again. So people know not to touch you just in case your leprosy is the kind that... Uh, that is communicable. So anyways, uh, I can't believe that I remembered the word communicable and not the word that when you have a fever, you are blank. Contagious. There we go. That's my brain. Anyway, so let's go on. Chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 45. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer open openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Chapter 2, and when he returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so there was no, no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. When they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And Jesus saw, when, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins be forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. <clears throat> Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, 
To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before, before them all. So that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, he never saw, We never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. It just strikes me interesting that the, at the end of chapter 1, Jesus heals a man and t- d- tells him, don't tell anyone what I did for you. And then in chapter 2, he calls a man and wants everyone to know what he's done for Levi. And it just begs the question, why did Jesus do that? Maybe chapter 2 is in response to what happened at the end of chapter 1. That Jesus told the man, don't tell anyone. And he went and told everyone anyways. And so Jesus decides that he's openly going to acknowledge what he's doing for other people. I think that's one reason to answer this. But I think the, the main reason is it's different when you're helping someone. I mean, you go back to chapter 1 and the, the miracle that Jesus works is not the same kind of miracle that he works over and over again in the New Testament. The reason why the miracles happen in the New Testament is to be a sign for unbelievers. But in chapter 1, it says, verse number 40, or sorry, verse 41, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. That was, that was, a, it was a benevolent thing more than it was an, an evangelistic thing. Jesus healed the man in, in Mark 1 because he, he was moved with pity, not because he wanted to prove something to someone. Later on, the miracles change into he's showing that what he's doing is from God and what he's saying is from God. But in Mark chapter 1, that miracle is specific to Jesus just wanting to help someone. And oftentimes we make the, the analogy that, or the link that miracles and benevolence are only there to teach people. And I think we overreach when we say that. Anyways, let's go on. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. These days will, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old. And a worse tear is made. And no one puts a new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh 
wineskins. And keep in mind that he's not talking about wine and wineskins. He's talking about the Word of God, the teachings of God, and the people that are listening to it. And so there in verse 22, new wine is for fresh wineskins. No, fresh wineskins are to hold new wine. Jesus got it backwards. No, because he's talking about the, rec- the receptivity of the vessel, the person getting the Word of God, not the Word of God. The Word of God never changes, but the person does. All right, chapter, 20, or chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Chapter 3. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around them, looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians at, against him how to destroy him. Over and over, this question of the Sabbath comes up in Jesus' ministry. Are they able? The reason why is because. The Pharisees are going off of the Midrash, off of the Jewish verbal teachings. Jews believe that, believed and believe today that the Word of God is only half of what you need to follow God. You have the Word of God, the written Word of God, and you have the vocal tellings of the Word of God, the Midrash, the, the commentary from the rabbis. And so Jesus is, is kind of picking at them a little bit and asking them questions. If a person has a heart attack, are you able to give CPR on the Sabbath day? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but if you've ever administered CPR, I've never done it on an individual, but I have done it a bunch of times on a mannequin. And even on a mannequin, when you get done, you're exhausted. And then I hear it's much worse on a on an actual individual, but if a person has a heart attack, are you able to administer CPR on, a, on the Sabbath day, Jews? They can't answer because you're supposed to help the people in need, right? But they believe you're not supposed to have any physical exertion at all. So he's, he's catching them up. They're trying to ask him questions to catch him, and really he's doing the exact opposite to them. Verse number seven. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan, 
and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told the disciples to have a boat ready for him because, the, because of the crowd, lest they should crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him and touched him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. When he went up to the mountain, went up on the mountain, and called to him those who he, whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appeared twelve, he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and might, he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boan. I can never pronounce this name correctly. Boan Ergus. Boan Ergus. There we go. That's not right. Bo. Anyways, Boan Ergus is what we're going with. Boan Ergus, that is, the sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip, Bartholomew and Matthew, Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. Even Jesus' family didn't believe that Jesus was Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah. So his family is going out to seize him, because they think that he's out of his mind. Verse 22, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub. And by the priests of demons, he cast out the demons. The prince of demons, he cast out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And the implication there is, Satan's kingdom is doing pretty well if you look around. And against... It, uh, sorry, and if a house is divided against itself, the house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. They indeed, then he, indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven to the children of man, and whatever blasphemes, blasphemies they utter... But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit has, never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the one that, that denies Jesus Christ, denies the miracles. And there's an argument to be said that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit can no longer occur because it's different reading about a miracle and seeing a miracle face to face. And these people... We're seeing miracles face to face and saying, he's doing this by the power of Satan. And Jesus says, that's the only kind of heart that can't be forgiven. Because if you're not willing to believe a miracle when it's happening directly in front of you, how, what else am I going to be able to tell you to convince you? Verse 31, and his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they said to him, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother 
and my sister and my mother. Chapter 4. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat on it, sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and, he, and as he sowed, some fell along the path. The birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately sprung up, sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. When the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. These are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises in an account, on account of the world, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfaithful, unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. We're always talking about how do you keep it's called, how do you close the back door? People that obey the gospel, but then they quickly fall away. How do you close the back door? Fact is, sometimes you're not going to be able to close the back door. Sometimes they're just not ready for it. They were never ready for it. They, they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't understand something, but something causes them to be choked out. And this is the parable for that. All right, chapter 4, verse 21. And he said to them, is the lamp brought in to be under a basket or under a bed or and not on a stand, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone hear, has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to those who have, who has, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, 
At once he puts on the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall we use? Is it like a grain of must? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke, with the, spoke the word with them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. On that day... When evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took, him with, they took him with them in a boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said, to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That last story is humorous to me. They're terrified, and they look at Jesus and say, Don't you care that we're going to die? And you can almost see him kind of open one eye. And then kind of, you know, how you get, you get your bearings. Where are you? What are you doing? All that sort of thing. And he says, peace be still. And the, <laughs> the waves calm. And he looks at him and goes, you, you didn't think, you, you thought I was going to let you die? It's okay. Don't worry. I knew what was going on. And then they look at each other and go, what in the world just happened? You haven't figured that out. When he healed the paralytic man and cast out demons and healed the leprous, and did all these other things. You were perfectly fine with that. But it's the wind that has really caught you up. You just don't understand how he did the wind. It's like a magic show. Well, I understand how he did the rope thing, but how did he do that thing with the balls and the cups? They just think that he's, I I don't know, maybe they think he's doing some kind of sleight of hand at this point. They they don't understand who they are following. And I'll, I'll make the argument that they never really understood who, he was, who they were following until the day when they realized that there was an open tomb, and then they started to put the pieces together. So that is Mark chapter 1 through 4. So in this, in this section, there, there isn't a lot of deep theological teaching, but there are a lot of parables. And I thought about taking the time to explain every one of them, but the fact is we don't have time. Number one. And number two, uh, Mark wrote them the way that he wrote them by inspiration. And what we're doing in the series of reading the scriptures this year is we're trying to just wrap our head around how God wanted us to hear the scriptures instead of, you know, how Lee wants to explain the scriptures. So um, hopefully that's been beneficial. Next time, next month, we will cover chapter four, uh, probably through chapter 10, or chapter 5 through chapter 10. So let's go ahead and offer our invitation. If there's someone here that needs to obey the gospel or repent of sins, ask for forgiveness, ask for encouragement, 
ask for anything at all, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement for you and let us know while we do that.